0: All right, we're back in Daniel again this morning, and uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter five, and I'm not, we're going to actually kind of scan through the entire chapter. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to have it out with you uh, throughout the service. If you have it on your phone, I will trust you to stay focused on the text and not Twitter and ESPN, right? I, I, I know that you are mature people and that you are faithful to the Lord, and that's what you'll be doing today. And not playing Fortnite or Minecraft while we're here, right? Okay, so Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going. But the real key to this passage, right, the, the whole thing tells us a story and reveals to us who God is and something about us and, and application points. But the real weight of this passage comes in, I believe, in verse 22 through twenty and 23. And I want to read that to start. In this big showdown that we're about to hear about, Daniel says, with all this boldness and all this courage as an old man, says to this young king, "'You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, "'but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, "'and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, "'and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them.'" And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Right there, I believe, is the key to understanding what's happening in this passage. The whole thing hangs on that interaction right there. So we are talking this morning about Daniel 5. It is a well-known passage. You've probably heard the phrase before that you've seen the writing on the wall. It comes from this passage right here. It has its origin right there. And the writing on the wall, when we say it, we might say that, hey, I... Uh, I love, I love my Philadelphia sports teams and there's a good chance that they're going to break the bank to sign a mega superstar in Philadelphia. But it's a good chance that Bryce Harper is going to get 10 plus years at over $300 million, which is the stupidest thing they could do, right? The writing is on the wall. The ticket prices are going to go up and we're going to fail miserably and have this huge contract. And what, when we say the writing is on the wall, what we mean is we can see impending doom coming comes from this passage right here. So here's what's going on. First four verses. Like I said, you're going to need your Bibles this morning. First four verses, Belshazzar, the king, has this display, a spectacle of power. He gives this this huge party. In verse one, we're told that Belshazzar um, has a great feast with a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of them. King Belshazzar is the son of Nabonidus. Which is a cool name, isn't it? King Belshazzar is a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar. Some are suggesting that he's actually the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Some suggest that he's the orphaned son of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was adopted by Nabonidus, which is weird in and of itself, but it's possible because King Nebuchadnezzar had a host of wives and concubines and he was not the most rational person in the whole world. Grandson to me seems like a pretty good answer and that's the one I typically go with when I'm reading through this, this passage, but there are competing voices there. The events of chapter 4 that we just saw last week, remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and uh, crawled around in the grass and ate ate grass like an ox and had his sanity taken from him. All of that is likely 30 years in the past now. Last last week was 30 years removed from the previous chapter. This one's probably 30 years removed from the, the last week's chapter too. And once again, what we see is that God has preserved his word. But not every detail of life is preserved here. He is preserving for us important pieces to help understand who he is and what he's doing in the world. And he's revealing that through this. So Belshazzar hosts this large, extravagant banquet and invites a thousand of his lords and nobles. And in front of these lords and nobles, he, he, he committed what was a cultural faux pas He was not, the king wasn't always seen partying and reveling with the people he was hosting and at his good graces, but this king positioned himself in front of the lords and took part, took part in excessive drinking and partying in front of all these people. And as the king they partied into the evening, actually, while they were doing this, the Persian army, who had recently destroyed Nabonidus, was probably camped outside the city. So while the demise of their empire was close at hand, they celebrated. They rejoiced. Either they were unaware or this was just a foolish attempt to boost morale for the final showdown. It's likely that as the wine begins to flow around the room that the king lost some of his inhibitions as as is what happens. And he issues a commandment that the articles of gold and silver that his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, he wants them. So he says, hey, go, go and bring me the sacred articles of worship that we pilfered from the Jews. Go get them and bring them here. So he comes and he brings them in and in this celebration, the attendees of the party fill the vessels The holy, sacred vessels of the temple of God fill them with wine and drink from them in their rebellious feast. And they use them to toast and to praise the gods of Babylon. Now, now, there there are so many connections that we could draw from that to our lives and I didn't see them all at first until a couple days ago. How many times, I'm just going to call a quick timeout. How many times do we receive from God's sacred gifts? And rather than submitting them and using them for the purposes he desired, we twist and distort them to build our own empire. We twist and distort these sacred gifts that he's given us to use for our own glory, to worship the gods of this world you may, you may think, well, Matt, what, what sacred gifts are you talking about? Articles of temple? No, I'm not talking about articles of the temple. I'm talking about the gracious gifts of God, like relationships, sex, food, drink, careers, rela- families. I mean, we receive from God these amazing, sacred things, and rather than worship him with them, we twist them and turn them in to worship ourselves, We are not much different than Belshazzar, if we're honest here this morning. We take and consume sacred things and don't worship God with them, but instead do deplorable things with those sacred gifts. So why would, back to the story, why would Belshazzar do this? Well, he does it for the same reason his predecessor built a statue and demanded that everybody worship him in an attempt to distinguish himself from all the other kings of this world, in an attempt to distinguish his own kingdom as bigger, greater, better, more glorious than all the other kingdoms, he's trying to make a spectacle of the king of Daniel, the god of Daniel, the the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the god of the Old Testament. He's trying to make a spectacle that he is stronger, more glorious, more powerful than all the other gods feasting and drinking to their own glory. And then all of a sudden, we get a terrifying message in the middle of all that. The party is happening, and and immediately, right there in the middle of the feast, at the height of this feast, the drunkenness and rebellion, a disembodied hand appears and writes a message, like the old Adams family, right? A disembodied hand appears and writes a message on the wall. Okay, the king, it should be noted, didn't know what the message said, but found it quite alarming that a disembodied hand was appearing before him and writing a message that he could see. The appearance of the hand and the message was enough to unsettle him. He he wasn't startled yet by the content because he didn't know what it meant. It was just the fact that there was a hand writing on the wall that was enough to, to, to get him. And I imagine you would feel the same way. That, that would be a bit concerning to us too. It was so concerning, the Bible says his color changed, leaves his face and he becomes pale with, with like the white of terror. And his thoughts alarmed him. His mind must have been racing, trying to discern, is this, is this the drink? Is this, is this actually happening? Am I really seeing this? What does all this mean? Trying to make sense of it all. His limbs gave way, the, the joints of his loins were loosened, which... which Means could mean that he lost control of his bodily functions. Could also mean that his that his hips and legs were just unsteady. Ever see somebody so terrified they're unsteady? I'm gonna tell a fun story right now. <laughs> this is a good one. My wife likes to she, it's okay, she knows this story. It happened, it's real. I'm not embellishing this. This is this isn't this is real life, okay? This is inviting you into our trial and into our our, our glorious union. Um, my wife likes to talk a big game about how if you come wandering into our house, she will kill you with her bare hands, right? She, she talks about how, how fierce she would be as a mama bear threatening her cubs, that she'd come at you and work you to death, right? That she'd stab you and, and rip your heart out, right? She, she talks this big game. One day... I was out visiting and doing something for, for work, and I had a little gap of time, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna stop at home and see Amanda and the kids, because Evie was still very little and was at home at the time. And I walked in the door at an unannounced time. And Amanda was in the living room, and it's far away from her front door. She couldn't hear me. And uh, so I thought, oh, this will be great. I get to see the kids. I walk into the living room, right? And I announce my presence with a hello, and her joints gave way. She she turned and looked at me with terror in her eyes, and she did this. And I looked at her, like, that's your plan? Like that. That's, we need to get you a gun. That's your that's your plan, right? You're you're just gonna shrivel into a ball? Are you an are you an armadillo? Like what what are you doing? Right. His joints, he was so terrified that his joints gave way, right? He doesn't know what's happening. His knees knock together and he calls loudly for the enchanters. Bring me people to figure this out. Bring me somebody who can help me. And so he, he gathers the Chaldeans. We've been in this situation before a couple times, haven't we now? He gathers the Chaldeans, the enchanters, the magicians, the sorcerers, everybody who's powerful and influential. You guys all come. If you can figure out what this means, you know what? He says, I'm going to make you the third highest person in the kingdom. I'm going to clothe you with a purple robe. I'm going to hang a gold chain around your neck. I am going to leverage everything at my disposal for you to fix this situation. Okay, quick time out here. Here's another connection between us and Belshazzar. How many times have we seen a circumstance in our life that didn't go the way we wanted and rather than just humble ourselves before the Lord and seek his guidance, we try to leverage all of our resources like, almost like Simon the magician in Acts trying to purchase the gift of God. Like, look, I will, I'll give you anything it takes. I'll pay whatever price. I'll do, I'll do whatever the wisdom of this world says. The first thing that we should have done is just humbled ourselves before God and said, what, what would you have me do here? Instead of trying to leverage worldly resources to purchase the, the gift of God. Anyway, back to the story. So they all come together. I'm instantly intrigued, he's undone, I'm unsettled, I'm gonna buy it, I'll just pay for it, see what happens. No use, they can't figure it out. They don't know what it means. They're they're clueless. And this greatly alarmed him that all of his resources left him empty, that he didn't have an answer. All of a sudden, news reaches the Queen Mother, and she comes to the banquet hall. She's not Belshazzar's wife. The wives were already at the hall at the party. And she has a particular set of information about how King Nebuchadnezzar dealt with his his magicians, enchanters, and astrologers. So many many think that she is the widow of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's um, grandmother in this case. She's a royal figure with great influence over the situation. She comes and she says, you got yourself a problem here. You need Daniel. You need Daniel. And then she gives a quick resume to Belshazzar. Apparently he doesn't remember Daniel, or he doesn't know why Daniel is such a significant figure. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 5. Here's what she says about him. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because that excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems was found in Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. He'll show you the interpretation. Daniel's likely an 80-year-old man. This lady knew about his reputation from years previous. She says, you need to call him. There's something special about this guy. God speaks to him. In him is the spirit of the holy gods. Not just our gods, but the high gods. There's something unique about Daniel that he has a sense of wisdom, of light, and understanding. God reveals mysteries through him. You need him. And all of us who are reading go, of course they need him. Daniel chapter 1, we're told that God gave Daniel a very specific skill set for very specific reasons. Again, quick time out. God has implanted within each of us abilities and gifts. And he's given us spiritual gifts if we're Christians, all for His purposes, for a time and a using that we probably don't even know and we don't understand, and then he sends us out into the world and puts us in positions of influence and authority, of service, in relationships. He launches us as his ambassadors to carry this message of hope and freedom and grace in Christ into the world, and he uses those gifts, those abilities, those passions at a time of his choosing and for his purposes. He doesn't send... Matt and I, were, we were talking about this a little bit ago. He doesn't send some better version of you. He gives you gifts and sends you. In all of your mess, in all of your struggle, in all of your clinging to faith in Jesus, he sends you into the world to be used at such a time at his choosing for his purposes. So here's Daniel, once again, like all the, the major players in the Old Testament, finds himself in a place he probably shouldn't be, a place of great influence And God gives him this amazing ability. So he comes. Daniel arrives. And he says, are you Daniel? Are you Daniel of the exiles? Are you the one that served my father, King Nebuchadnezzar? I've heard about you, he said. The spirit of the gods is in you. You possess light and wisdom and understanding. I wonder if Daniel knew in those early days when he was stolen away from Jerusalem, I wonder if he had any clue in those days what God would use him to do. I wonder if he had any idea as God drew him away from all that he had familiar as a teenager. I wonder if he knew that for thousands of years, the church of Jesus would read his story and be encouraged. I wonder if he had any clue in the moment as he was just trying to be faithful with what God gave him today. The long-reaching consequences of his faithfulness quick time out I wonder if any of us have any clue do do you realize I mean today right now today with what's in front of you the people that you interact with the circumstances are there the choices that you have to make do you have any idea how the choice today impacts 20 30 40 70 years down the road the answer is no you have no idea God in his mercy and his wisdom and his sovereign providence can take all of it and work it for his purposes. Your calling is the same as Daniel's, the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same as every saint of God from the beginning till now. It's to be faithful today with what God has placed in front of you. Daniel says, I'm your guy. That's me. King says, look, today is your lucky day, Daniel. I know you're an old decrepit dude, but I am gonna make you the third most powerful person in all the kingdom. I'm gonna clothe you with a, a robe of purple. I'm gonna hang a gold chain on your neck. I will give you all that I offer these other guys. All you have to do is read this message over here and interpret it for me. And Daniel, Daniel says, you keep your money. Love this, love this. He said, maybe he's just old enough to not be pulled by that anymore. Quick time out, guys, gentlemen especially. There's a lesson for us in this. There's a lesson for us in this. We are so easily pulled away by whatever flashes and shines and promises to deliver all of our earthly desires. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being in Daniel's position as a 40-year-old? Let's just hypothetically say father of four looking at four rounds of college and a couple marriages at some point in the next 10, 15 years, right? Can you imagine being in that situation going, wow, here I am in this position and I have this gift of God that he gave me sovereignly. If I answer this correctly, look at what is available to me. And Daniel just says, maybe he's just old enough to know that it doesn't matter. Not, not all that glitters is gold. He says, look, you keep your money. I can't be bought, but I'll tell you what it says. Not because you're paying me. I'll tell you because God put it in me. I'll tell you because I'll be faithful to him. I'll tell you because I'm his servant. Yes, I don't want your money. And then he gives a quick reminder to Belshazzar. Notice that he doesn't go right into interpreting. He says, Belshazzar, I'll tell you, but, but first, let, let me tell you a story about a guy I once knew. Your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, Look at verse 18, the most high God, the one that I serve, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship, greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up and whom he would, he humbled. Okay, stop right there. The God of heaven gave to Nebuchadnezzar this amazing kingdom. The God of heaven built him up, set him on the throne, established him, and granted him the freedom to lead with that kind of authority and majesty and glory. He had been given so much that the world trembled before him, that nations sought his help He had the power in his word to kill and grant life. He was the most powerful man on the planet, he says. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory taken from him. He would not humble himself before God, the God who held in his hand life and death, the God who appointed him, the God who gave it all. He would not humble himself before that God. Instead, he lifted himself up and hardened his heart against the Lord, set himself against God, which is what we studied last week. He walked on the roof of the palace and he said, look at this great kingdom that I have built. And while the words were still on his lips, his sanity left him and he was brought low. The apple has not fallen far from the tree. King Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among the children of men. His mind was like that of a beast. He dwelt with the animals. He ate grass like an ox. He was wet with the dew of heaven until until he knew that the Most High God rules. Belshazzar, he says, you have not learned from him. Remember those, those verses we said at the beginning. Here it is, right here. Belshazzar, you are committing the same error that Nebuchadnezzar committed. You have not heard and understood the story of the God who is Most High. You have puffed yourself up. You've set yourself against him. You've taken sacred and holy things and used them to profane the name of the most high God and to worship your own gods, gods of iron. gods. Interesting that he goes with iron and bronze, doesn't it? Remember the statue, Daniel chapter two? He goes to, you worship gods of iron and bronze, gods of, of wood, gods who can't hear, gods who can't see, gods who can't speak and yet you ignore the one living God who holds your life in his hand. He said, you have not learned. Shame on you, King Belshazzar. I love Daniel's boldness. In In this season of life, he has seen God. He knows God. He has seen the hand of provision and deliverance. He's seen the rebellious kings of Babylon, and he knows how God has brought them low, and he knows his calling as a voice of truth in a broken generation Quick time out. God has sent the church of Jesus to this generation for such a time as this. To be servants of the Most High God. To refuse to bow the knee to the kings of this world. To stand firmly committed to the truth of who God is and to speak with boldness and passion and love and conviction that there is a God in heaven who is to be served. There is a race to be won and we are to bow our hearts and lives to that king. Shame on you, he says. I'll give you the interpretation. He says the hand is a divine judgment. This is not just some hallucination. This is a divine judgment from God. And it says, mene, mene, tekel, and parson, which is great. But what does that mean? When translated, he says, here's here's what it means, verse 26. He says, mene, numbered, that's the word for numbered, he says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. He's brought them to an end. <laughs> he looks at him and says, I hate to tell you about it. It's over. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. It's done. Time's up. It's over for you. Tekel, weighed your deeds, your administration, your kingdom has been evaluated by God himself. It has been weighed in the balances and you have been found lacking, sir. You are in debt. You are guilty before God. And you will receive the appropriate punishment. Your your kingdom is numbered. It's over. You are guilty. You You are not in a good place with the Most High God. That's going to have to be dealt with. And then Perez, divided. Your reign is over. This kingdom that you enjoy will be taken from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar, I don't know what he's doing here. I I don't have a clue what he, for all of his hangups, he at least is trying to be faithful to his word. He brings out the purple robe. I'm like, did you not just hear what he said to you? You're dead, your kingdom's gone, and you're not in a good place with God, and you're still gonna give him the robe? I would run and hide. I think if this this had come to me, the, the best appropriate response right now would be to gather a couple of your special ops forces and try to get out of the city. But in this big show, he said, okay, bring bring the gold chain, bring the rope. He tries to put it on him. And God is faithful. Verse 30, that very night, it all came to be. That very night, quick time out here. We don't know how much time is granted to each of us. We, We don't know. You don't maybe you're here today and you're hearing the sound of my voice and you're in a position where you've not yet bowed your knee and your heart to the King of of, of the Old Testament, this most high God. And you're weighing the options and you're trying to put it all together and you think you understand that Jesus was the Messiah who died to set you free from sin and you need to be made right with God and you realize you can't do it on your own. You can't be a good law keeper and and be so moral that God is just wowed by your morality and, and you're here today and you still have yet to bow your knee and your heart to that God. I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just trying to be honest with you this morning. You don't know how long you have. Seek the Lord today while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. If God is stirring your heart, you respond to him. If he's leading you to repentance because of a conviction of sin, then respond to him. Don't harden your heart. Don't sear your conscience. That's a gracious gift that the God of heaven would be drawing you, speaking to you, a rebel and an enemy, and calling you to his grace. Don't walk away from that. This guy, I I wonder what would have happened if in that moment he just hit his knees and said, you're absolutely right, I repent, I need to worship this God. But we'll never know. Because when confronted with that, when confronted with that harsh conviction, he hardened his heart and he wouldn't bow. So that night, Belshazzar is killed, the advancing armies take over, Darius the Mede is given the kingdom. 62 years old. Words are specific and precise. They carry great weight. Notice it says, it does not say that Darius the Mede conquered the kingdom. It doesn't say that Darius the Mede grabbed hold of the kingdom. It doesn't say that Darius the Mede did anything to go and take the kingdom. It said Darius receives the kingdom. Because there is a most high God who rules over the kingdoms of earth, Daniel chapter four last week, and he appoints who he will. He lifts one up and he puts another down and he sets above the kingdoms of the earth the lowliest of men. Daniel, Daniel is, is reminding us that in the in showdown between Belshazzar and the pride of Babylon and the most high God, he's telling us definitively who wins. The most high God. And he has appointed the successor to Belshazzar just as he laid out in his prophetic visions. All right, so what? What does all that mean for us? Gosh, this was a good one, wasn't it? What does all that mean for you and me today? Some of them are big pictures, some of them are small, but here's here's one thing that I think we can see clearly from this passage, that the picture that we see is a God in complete control. We see a God who is not undermined. He will not be usurped. You might think that you can can pull one over on him. You might get away with it for 30 years. But the God we serve is in complete control of the affairs of this world. And he reveals deep and hidden mysteries to his servants. You know, he's revealed deep and hidden mysteries to his church, the mystery of the gospel that a righteous and a holy God can be made right with unrighteous people through faith in Jesus. This was a mystery that was hidden. How could the Gentiles be made right with God? It was a mystery that's been hidden. And in these final days, it's been revealed. He reveals deep mysteries to us. And then he calls us to go share those. We see a God who's in charge even during a season of exile. Exile. For Daniel's entire life now, 60 years or more he's lived in exile, when it looked like God was out of control, when the temple in Jerusalem is laying in ruins, God is still fulfilling his word. Some of you gathered at the day of mourning yesterday and were heartbroken to see the state of our world, to see the absolute ridiculous rebellion against God as we have have squandered the sanctity of life and we, we... there are strong words I want to say that I can't say in church. And we, we poo poo the, the sanctity of marriage and, and we, we re- reject the truth that God has revealed to us. And we wonder, how can God be in control in this world? And we wonder, how can we live as exiles in this world? Look to Daniel. That's how you can live as exiles. He did it already for us, He showed us God is faithful. He's not going to leave us alone. He's going to empower our witness. He'll use us to carry the gospel to the capital district and around the world. How can we live in exile? Well, the church has been living in exile for thousands of years. We're in good company. The God that we serve is a God who reveals and is in complete control, even, even in exile. Babylon the Great, there was no match on the planet for the power and the might of Babylon. And yet God, in his mercy, in an evening, took it all. Wow. God rules and reigns. The second thing we can see that I think we have to notice this morning is the gracious pursuit of God for the kings of Babylon. (laughs) How many times did he try to reach Nebuchadnezzar? And he didn't stop with Nebuchadnezzar. He's still coming after his descendants. You know, at the end of days in in the book of Revelation, which is closely tied to the prophecies in Daniel, the the world, the kingdom, the rebellious kingdoms of this world are identified as Babylon the Great. Babylon, the physical kingdom, was so rebellious against God, so arrogant, so hard-hearted, that it has come to be representative of all ungodly kingdoms and all ungodly people in the world and when God finally rains down judgment he does it with power and conviction and there is no doubt that he is pouring out wrath and when God judges Babylon because of that harsh imagery we sometimes might think of it as harsh punishment let us never forget that God was gracious in his pursuit of the kings of Babylon over and over and over and over again. And let us not forget that when God's judgment comes to human beings that we know and love, it is not because He has not pursued them or has not revealed Himself to them. He has revealed in creation all that we need to know that He's there. He has revealed in the gospel message the righteousness of Christ. He has spoken. Lest we forget, he is graciously pursuing today. He's pursuing you today. If you have hardened your heart against God, if you have not bowed your knee, today is a day where he is calling to you, come. All who are weary and heavy laden, come. I'll give you peace, I'll give you rest. Come. I love that he continues to pursue, even though the kings of Babylon were a mess, because he continued to pursue me. Even though I understood the basic truths of the gospel, I had not yet applied them through faith to my heart and he didn't give up on me. And some of you have friends and loved ones you've been praying for for 30, 40, 50 years that God would open their eyes to see the truth of the scriptures. Continue to pray, believing that the God we serve pursues faithfully by his grace, revealing himself and don't give up. Thirdly today, Our response to God makes all the difference. Pride and rebellion against him leads to humiliation. Nebuchadnezzar, walking around in the field like an animal. Nabonidus, destroyed. The kingdoms of this world, Daniel 2, brought low by the kingdom of Christ. Belshazzar, here in this passage, killed and humiliated. But humility before God leads to exaltation. Isn't that the great paradox of the Christian faith? Pride and arrogance before God leads to humiliation, but humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he lifts us up. And we have to look no farther than people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar in his moment of of clarity, and all who would seek and be found in Christ. There is a message in that to all of us today. Humble yourself before God. Lay down the the articles of warfare. Lay down the, the sacred things that you're using for yourself. Lay down your own desires. Lay down your own dreams. Lay down the life that you've created for yourself and your mind. Lay it all at his feet and surrender to him. And ask of him, what would you have me to do with all of this? Seek him today while he may be found. Who knows? Who knows what today holds for us, for me, for you? Seek him while he may be found. Refuse to set yourselves against him and instead find the joy of worshiping him and submitting to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is powerful and it cuts us to the core and we have seen today so many places where we find ourselves, unfortunately, on the wrong side of the story. And yet we are reminded of your gospel love for us, that even though we have failed, you have sent Christ to redeem us. And those of us who have been walking with you, we know that we are secure in you, that we are rooted in you, anchored in you. God, remind us again today of the greatness of that gift. I pray for those in the room who are struggling with with hard-heartedness. Maybe they see in themselves too much Belshazzar. And rather than humbling themselves before you, rather than submitting their their dreams, their hopes, their desires, rather than submitting their decisions to you, their careers to you, you, they're just running, running to pursue their own thing. God, I pray that you would graciously lead them to humility and repentance before you. I pray that they would That they would hit their knees before your strong hand forces them. That today would be a gracious response, a loving response, a, a humble response to you. And I pray, God, in their humility, as they come before you, laying it all down, that they would not be met with judgment and harsh condemnation, but that they would be overcome with grace and acceptance, forgiveness and mercy, and that you would lift them up that you would draw them up, that you would exalt them in their humility. God, thank you for the amazing work you're doing here. Continue to pour out your blessings on us, and as we continue to worship you, let us do so with, with a right heart that is willing to lay it all down before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.